Hello and welcome to another podcast. It is Coach Mark Manila here from ESL, BusinessEnglishExperts.com and Initial-Impact.com here to help you live your best possible life. Now, if you listened to me yesterday, you'll know that I did an additional update about ADHD. And I mentioned in that podcast that I was going to continue talking and speaking further about it. So here is that next podcast for you. So listen up. If you are somebody who feels that you're struggling with ADHD type symptoms, maybe you haven't been diagnosed formally. Uh, many people who are older haven't because, of course, uh, ADHD as a natural condition has probably been around only for the last 40 years as in being aware of it. Um, but of course, it's existed probably as long as human beings have existed. Um, so therefore, you may have missed out on getting a formal diagnosis when you were younger. And um, so this is important for you. Perhaps you just suspect that you might have some of these things happening for you. If it's causing a big enough problem or perhaps you're just curious, you could try to seek some expert advice and see if there is something absolutely happening there for you. Um, but remember this, regardless of whether you feel that you are affected by ADHD or not, it's important for you to understand that you just have a different operating system and maybe Maybe even if you don't have ADHD, it's not such a bad thing, okay? Just to be slightly different to the rest of the world. So let's carry on and let's talk about it. Okay, so let's talk about ADHD and why not? Why not just look at it from a different point of view? So this, uh, this whole point of ADHD is kind of needing to be turned on its head, I would say. Um, and there are many uh, scientists and medics these days also agreeing, one of which um, has written a fantastic, um, well, quite a lot of uh, research about this, to be fair. He's a gentleman called William Dodson. He's a medical doctor. Um, and you can probably do a bit of Googling around him as well and find some fantastic work written by him. Now, let's look at some of the things he, he wrote about this further. So um, basically, don't turn this into neurotypicals, is what he says in some of his writings. Um, when we think about it, the implications of this is vast, okay? So the first thing that as I as a coach do um, or does when I, I work with people who might be kind of not neurotypical but atypical is stop trying to turn people with ADHD or other mental health issues, if they have mental health challenges or in fact anybody, into neurotypical people, average people. The goal here should be to intervene as early as possible Okay, before someone with ADHD has become so frustrated and just downtrodden and basically despairing by struggling in a neurotypical world, okay, uh, where the deck is often stacked against them, right? So if you're a, a teacher, a coach, a doctor, a professional, a counsellor, a psychologist, please, please, please listen up here um, and understand that it's important that we try to do it sooner rather than later. Um, the same also with mental health challenges, because if we leave it too long, like I myself know, um, you can get mishandled and mistreated badly by certain so-called professionals, and it just damages any trust that you have to try and get help, which then causes a bigger problem. So with ADHD, it's really important, all right, that we, we work with them as early as possible before they've got frustrated by struggling, okay? And if anything, um, this doctor um, suggests that there should be two pieces, if nothing else. So, you know, sometimes we might need to level the playing field with medication. All right. 
So this can help the ADHD individual have a better attention span, impulse control, and ability to calm on the inside. Okay. Now, it's strange, but stimulants can actually improve a person's day-to-day performance, helping them to get things done. Because remember this, it's usually to do with a lack of dopamine. Okay. So in order for, for people like myself with ADHD type symptoms to get that um, ability to focus, we often, you know, if you're not taking a medication, you might find that you kind of self-medicate using either extreme sports, something dangerous or risky, maybe, you know, um, lots of children like playing video games, which gives them a dopamine rush. Anything that makes you feel good or gives you a bit of a thrill will release dopamine. Okay, so it's just about boosting that dopamine up there, but be careful, obviously, how you're doing it. Um, Now, um, when we look at that, the stimulation can improve your day-to-day performance and help you to get things done. However, they are not effective if you're talking about medications here, calming the internal hyperarousal that many of us with ADHD have, right? Um, For these kind of things, there are other things that needed to be added. Uh, often alpha agonists medications that's a big word all right but again they all come with side effects and this is why i personally speaking prefer to try and manage it without resorting to medication Um, and to be honest with you you can take the right medication at the right dose but nothing changes if you are still approaching tasks with a neurotypical strategy all right to be honest with you Medication possibly might not be needed as long as you can hack your brain and use it, as I say, with the rules that work for, okay, with your particular brain structure and being atypical. So let's look at it. The second piece of the ADHD symptom management is to have you or me create our own ADHD owner's manual, for want of a better word, all right? Okay, this is what this medic says. Now, he suggests that this generic owner's manual that's been written Okay, um, is for neurotypical people doesn't work, right? It's like trying to run your laptop using the wrong manual and then getting really frustrated and saying, no, the computer doesn't work, it's broken. Rubbish, absolute rubbish is not broken. It's just you're pressing the wrong keys on it because the manual's telling you you need to press this key and it doesn't work on your laptop. But suddenly get the manual that works for your laptop and boom, okay, it works, right? Okay, so. Many people, obviously, with ADHD grow and mature over time, okay? And what interests and challenges you at seven years old is not going to challenge interest you at 37 or 47, okay? So it's really important because, remember, interest and challenge are the two key things, okay, to try and keep the attention high. So remember, you're going to probably need to keep moving your own goalposts. And this is why many people with ADHD seem to do like a variety of jobs, and always moving on and wanting to do new things. And this can really confuse neurotypical people, okay, because it doesn't make sense why you would want to do that, okay? But it's a question of not wanting to, it's a case of having to, needing to, in order to keep engaged. Um, but again, this can get misjudged, misunderstood, uh, be seen as a fickle behavior, maybe, or just, you know, never sticking at anything, lacking stickability. Well, I have to say, what you might lack in stickability, you sure can make up more than enough in results. As long as you are doing something you love, you will probably end up hitting something really successful. And as I said before, people like Adam Levine and other famous people like Sir Richard Branson and many other entrepreneurs have made an absolute fortune having ADHD. Thank you very much. 
but they had to learn how to use it and get themselves in the right environment to be supported in the right way. I doubt very much Richard Branson, sorry, Sir Richard Branson, but um, I doubt very much he'd have done very well working a regular job, right? Okay, and I'm not sure Adam Levine would have really have held his own just flipping burgers at McDonald's for the rest of his life. He needed to be on the move and out there dynamic and doing very interesting things, okay, with vocal range and his his videos, his music videos, so come on. Um, it's a it's a question of finding the right situations for each and every one of us, right? And having the right operating manual. Now, um, when we think about it, you want to write your own manual and think about it. How do you get in the zone now, today? Not what worked in the past. What circumstances do you succeed and thrive in your current life? Okay. Um, and rather than look at where you're falling short, you need to identify how you get into the zone and function at remarkable levels. So for me personally, I'm realizing, um, like I said, you know, um, working at a regular job just would never cut it for me. I always wanted and needed to be my own boss. Um, but equally, as I found out from being in a very bad situation um, with a joint company that um, you have to be, if you're going to run a company with a joint person, they have to have the same kind of mind as you, um, which, you know, um, is important. Um, if you're working with someone who is very analytical and I say like neurotypical, um, then your working style and my working style will be completely at odds with theirs and it's just a clash. It's just an absolute mess. And then that wouldn't be so bad, but then if you're working with somebody who's a really kind of toxic individual and wants to micromanage everything and control everything, it is just a recipe for an absolute disaster, to be honest with you. So, you know, you've got to look at, well, do you need to be your own boss? And if so, do you want to do it on your own? Or how are you going to find the right people to work with who will get how you work and allow you to work that way for the benefit of both parties and the company, okay? Um, so look at it from that point of view. Also, um, if you write it down for a month, just write down, explain every time you get in the zone, make a note. How do you get in the zone? Is it because you've been intrigued or curious about something and specifically what in the task intrigued you? And or was it because maybe it was a, a you know, you felt competitive, all right? And what about the opposition or the competition made you feel that, wow, you were stirred to stay focused, all right? And by the end of a month, most people have listed about 50 or 60 different techniques that you now know work for you, okay? So when you need to call upon yourself to perform, to you know, to engage in a task, you now understand how your nervous system works and which techniques are really helpful for you. And these strategies work for many people with ADHD um, because they simply took some time out to figure out what you needed to do, which buttons you need to press in order to get this laptop to work, okay? Um, what we're doing here doesn't change your nervous system into a neurotypical system. It's just not possible, right? It's like saying, I'm going to turn your, I don't know, your laptop, your Windows laptop into a Mac. It's just that doesn't work, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so it's the two different, very different systems, okay? And it just helps bring lifelong help to those people who are not neurotypical to be able to function in a world that is still set up largely for neurotypical people, right? Okay. Now, let's also look a little bit further at um, what this fantastic doctor said, an explanation of why we act the way we do. So he says, and I'm quoting him now, the truth about the ADHD nervous system is what he's come to understand is that 
And this is something many of us know from an early age, if you've got ADHD, is that if you have an ADHD nervous system, you are like born on a different planet. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it, right? Totally different. Um, most people with ADHD know they are different, have always known it. They were maybe told by parents, teachers, employers, spouses, yeah, exes, whatever, friends. They didn't fit the common mold. And they'd better sort it out if they wanted to make something of themselves, right? Almost like you're some sort of um, unwanted traveler, right? Okay. And that you had to fit into the world and become like everybody else. Now, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it's not that even if people did say how to do it, as I said, it's like trying to program your Mac using the Windows operating system. It's just not going to compute, right? So it's just a waste of time. So even if you wanted to try and fit in, you can't, sadly. You could do your best to pretend, but you're still going to stand out from time to time, okay? And it's not about hiding. This is what I want to be very clear about. It's about celebrating who you are, okay? And saying, this is me, right? Okay? I might be operating differently, but I can do some amazing things that other people aren't doing here. So why not let me do that? Okay. Um, now, from that point of view, no one's told us how to do this. No one's revealed this big secret, okay? It could be done, like you said. So the only outcome here, if you're a teacher and you're working or a parent with a child or a young person with ADHD or yourself, if you try to force them to be like neurotypical, it's not going to work, all right? Okay, and then of course, we often judged by saying that, you know, we haven't tried hard enough or long enough. We needed to work harder, okay? Now, it does seem, as we said in the other podcast, and William Dodson makes a very good point of this, that why we call it a disorder, and it's got so many positive features, okay? We are fantastic problem solvers. I mean, part of the reason why I think in the past, when I was able to coach excessively long hours, um, helping, you know, 700 and some students. I mean, and when I think about it, you know, people used to come with issues with their English. This is exactly what I used to do. And very quickly, I can pinpoint, okay, what's going on here? So as a problem solver, exceptionally fast, okay, able to totally put your finger on the button and say, this is what's the challenge for you. This is how we're going to fix it, okay? This is something I still do. Um, and in a way, that's a fantastic thing to be able to do to help as many people as I have worldwide. And my job now is just to give this information as widely as I can out here on this podcast. So when we think about it, um, we often have um, a chance to deal with the problems that put everybody else like to scratching their heads, right? Well, we can just jump to the answer. Um, often people with ADHD are quite affable, likable people, good, good sense of humor because you absolutely need it when you're living with this. Um, and in a way, relentless determination. So if you get hooked on a challenge, we tend to tackle it with one after the other after the other coach until we get it right. Um, and then may completely lose interest entirely when it's no longer a challenge. <laughs> All right. So this is something that can really look frustrating. It's like when something has ceased to become either interesting or challenging, you just get dropped like a stone, like cold. And of course, that can be misunderstood by many people as either some sort of personality disorder, um, a narcissistic personality, for example. Um, all sorts of strange other accusations can fly around there when in fact it's nothing at all. It's just literally that your operating system works that way. It's not an excuse. It is a fact. It is an absolute fact. So the point is, is to always keep things interesting, to always keep things kind of new and affable. It's not that um, 
it's not being childish or self-centered to say that you need it. It's just a novelty-based, an interest-based nervous system needs to have lots of interest. So sadly, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody and that is them being lost, maybe there's not as much interest anymore. This can happen a lot, obviously, in relationships. Then sadly, it can also lead to problems there too. Couple that then with judgment and criticism and a whole host of other things that happen in relationships anyway and can be... Yeah, it can spell, spell the death knell. The death knell, yeah, the final curtain, the end of the relationship. So very sadly, and, um, you know, that doesn't mean that love has been lost at all. Um, quite the opposite, actually. But uh, it's just not ticking the boxes, not ticking the boxes. But, of course, that can look very narcissistic, but it isn't narcissism at all. That's a whole different level of, uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness, that's a whole other level of pain. And um, quite frankly, you will find many people with ADHD are very high as an empath, actually. So that's the opposite of a narcissist, deeply sensitive and easily hurt, right? So this is very important to understand. That is the key that makes them stand out against a narcissist who will just ruthlessly go for the jugular, all right? Okay, and trust me, being there and experienced that, it's not a pleasant experience. So, um, yeah, so when we think about it, there's actually many things that almost seem like qualities right bright creative intelligence being well liked hardworking and diligent is a big one right okay um because you know that is important because when we get focused oh my goodness we don't give up we just keep on going we go above and beyond the call of duty so when we think about it the main obstacle as as this doctor says is to understand and manage adhd has been the incorrect assumption that they should be like the rest of neurotypicals, right? But no, it's quite the opposite. We want to be sure that you are running your operating system in the right way with the right set of rules. That way you can be absolutely fantastic. Now, one thing I mentioned a minute ago, why are we so sensitive? Well, okay, if you think about it, how you process emotions, you cannot manage the impairments of ADHD, as he says, until you can manage the to process the emotions and this has been ignored by research right um it's a, a part of adhd because it can't be measured yet emotional disruptions are the most impairing aspects of the condition at any age this is really important um nearly everybody with adhd so if you're listening answers an emphatic yes so the question have you always been more sensitive than others to rejection teasing criticism or your own perception that you've failed or fallen short absolutely okay this is a definition called rejection sensitive dysphoria okay yes it does have a name now um when this doctor asked people to elaborate on it with adhd they said i'm always tense i can never relax i can't just sit there and watch a tv program with the rest of the family i can't turn my brain and body off to go to sleep at night because i'm sensitive to my perception that other people disapprove of me i'm fearful in, in interpersonal interactions so they describe the inner experience of being kind of hyper-aroused internally, right? Not externally hyperactive, but internally. So remember that after the age of about 14, the over-hyperactivity, as in like running around kids that we kind of stereotypically think about when we say ADHD, isn't there. But it is there internally. If you ask, we will tell you it's there. We're just very good at internalizing it now. But that doesn't mean it's not all still going on. Now, the emotional response to perception of failure is usually catastrophic for people with ADHD. The term dysphoria means difficult to bear. Distress, okay, 
And basically, people with ADHD report they can hardly stand it. Now, um, if if you fail, it's like hardly standing. It's like you you you, were, you died, right? Okay, these people are not wimps. I don't think it's being a wimp. Disapproval hurts much more than hurts neurotypical people. Interesting to know why. I don't know, and I'd love to find out why. Okay, but this is really important. Um, now, if the emotional pain is internalized, a person may experience depression. Hello and a loss of self-esteem in the short term. If emotions are externalized, okay, pain can be expressed as rage at a person or a situation that has affected them. Okay, so this is very important, okay, how you are managing this. So most people internalize it, which means depression, self-esteem, okay. Overall, in the long term, okay, um, there are two personality outcomes. The person with ADHD either becomes a people pleaser, making sure that friends, acquaintances, etc., always approve of them. Okay, this is pretty much what can happen. Um, and after years of this constant kind of being vigilant, okay, um, you almost become a chameleon, losing track of what you want for your own life. Okay, um, others find that the pain of failure is so bad. They refuse to try anything unless they're assured of a quick, easy, and complete success. Taking chances is too big an emotional risk, and that means their lives remain stunted and limited. So we get the two opposite extremes happening here, right? Both of which, I have to say, are not particularly great outcomes. Um, and, you know, when you think about it, it's difficult um, because for many years, um, it's what we might call rejection-sensitive dysphoria has also been known as atypical depression, okay? And the reason being is that it wasn't called typical depression because it's not a depression at all, but the ADHD nervous system's instantaneous response to the trigger of rejection. So this is important for you to be aware of. So it might not necessarily always respond to typical um, antidepressants, um, or therapies that are for typical depression, whatever that might be these days. Um, also, until recently, all a person could do with ADHD um, is to wait for the dysphoria to dissipate over time. And that found, in a way, that in the clinical um, tests on this, that to half of people uh, with rejection sensitivity could actually get faster relief from an alpha agonist, okay? This was pharmacological uh, interventions. Um, but, you know, if you have rejection-sensitive dysphoria and it's really affecting you and giving you serious depression, you might want to look into that. It could be something that could help you, all right? Okay. Um, also, why don't people with ADHD function very well in a linear world? What is that? Okay. So a linear world is kind of like, you know, one thing after the other, okay? But ADHD is kind of like circular, right? Or curvilinear, right? Past, present, and future are never separate and distinct. And I totally get this myself. As somebody with PTSD as well, this is very strange because for me, the past is always present, all right? So this is, you know, there are overlaps here, I feel, very much. So everything is now. Everything is now. And with ADHD, it's exactly the same. So people with ADHD live in a permanent present, all right? Um, sometimes have a hard time learning from the past or looking into the future to see some of the consequences of actions. So in a way, sometimes you can feel as you just are reacting, right? Acting without thinking. It's something you can work on, okay? Um, 
interestingly for myself, I also look too far into the future, though. So this is why sometimes you don't always fit a textbook example of this. But with people who don't act, who act without thinking, the definition is always impulsive. And this is why many people you might, if you're a parent of a child, say they never learn, they never learn. OK, well, the reason for that is simply not because they're refusing to learn, but because they have a different operating function system. OK, all right. So it means that people with ADHD are not very good at planning and doing parts of a task in order. Tasks in a neurotypical world have a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, but we sometimes find it hard to know where to start. OK, and how to finish. And if you can't find the beginning, you might end up jumping to the middle of a task and then work in all directions at once, <laughs> which is rather chaotic, right? Okay. So organization becomes very hard to do. Okay. And of course, remember that most organizations work on linearity, importance of time, and these are concepts that just not work in that operating manual. Okay. So that's really important for you to get. Your child or young person is not being troublesome on purpose. This is actually what's happening in their operating system. Now, why are people with ADHD overwhelmed? Well, people in ADHD world experience life more intensely, more passionately than neurotypicals, which is what gives us this fantastic drive when it works and when we're okay. Um, we have a very low threshold though for outside sensory experience, okay, because of the day-to-day -day experience of all of our senses being like bombarded on high volume, okay? Um, the intensity is so high. So, it's, you know, I know myself like my mind is, is rarely at rest. Okay, from both PTSD and then, of course, these ADHD-type traits as well, okay? And, of course, sometimes it always wants to be engaged in something interesting, challenging, okay? Attention is not deficient at all. It's excessive, constantly occupied with either internal thoughts, engagements, and, you know, and when people with ADHD are not in the zone, in hyper-focus, we still have a, several things wrapping around in our minds all at once, and you know, it's almost like five people talking to you all the same time, right? It nothing. It's hard to get just focused attention on one particular thing, and this can be the troublesome part because if you don't know how to manage that, then you can find like with your your child that nothing gets done well. So you've got to get really strict. And again, I coach a lot on how to do that because it comes from somebody who's had to do that himself, um, and. You know, it's still a challenge. It is always going to be a challenge. And if my PTSD gets really bad, then all of this like flares up even more. It's very, very hard. Many people with ADHD, and I put my hand up here, can't screen that sensory input. Um, this is often sometimes related to one sensory area, such as hearing. It's called um, hypercussis amplified hearing, which I get, and it is awful, really, really hard. So. Even if a disruption comes from another of the five senses, it can still happen. Let me explain. So a tiny sound in the house prevents anybody falling asleep with ADHD and overwhelms the ability to disregard it. I had to really work hard with that at a younger age, really. Um, any movement, no matter how small, is distracting. Okay, And certain smells, which others barely notice, can cause people with ADHD to, to leave the room. Okay, So... Um, we're often getting disrupted by these experiences, which many neurotypical people do not even experience. It doesn't even come onto your radar if you're neurotypical, whereas we are. So this disruption kind of keeps makes the perception of someone with ADHD as being rather strange, prickly, demanding, high maintenance, sensitive, I don't know, controlling, but it's not. This is this is the normal. This is how it is, and it's overwhelming. Okay, so the notion of being different. 
And being perceived as unacceptable by others is also part of how you're regarded and it becomes part of your identity and sometimes it can get very damaging, okay? Um, so that's something to be aware of as well if you're dealing with somebody um, like that, supporting a child like that, or indeed it is yourself. The other thing is, is that sometimes with a person with ADHD can love a crisis, right? Because it's the do or die headline, produce lots of high quality work, and it can all be crammed into a single night of hyper-focused perfection. So, you know, people with ADHD sometimes do create crises to generate the adrenaline to get engaged and functional because, you you know, you're trying to do that. Um, if you heard a little squeaky noise, then it's a gecko inside my room somewhere. Um, all right. So, um, yeah, this is what we need. We need a bit of an adrenaline rush. So, as I say, when I was in the Canary Islands, I would hike a lot and go up volcanic mountains and, you know, stuff that perhaps neurotypical people would probably think was a little bit risky. For me, it gave me what I needed to be able to focus and to regulate my system. So it's important to know what works for you, uh, but be safe. Um, and of course, we don't really want to be the masters of disaster, right? Okay, to have high intensity crises with ease and then fall apart when everything becomes routine again. Um, going from a crisis to crisis is a tough way to live, honestly and truly, right? Okay. Um, and so it's really important to, you know, to, to look at that and see how you are going to get your focus and hopefully not from doing crises things or, you know, like always having to have a disaster. Okay. Um, sometimes, um, always, I'm going to put it, don't get things done. Okay. That could be another one really. Okay. Um, and we're going to carry on with this in our next podcast because there's a few more things to add here. But in general, I hope this has given you a little bit more idea as to what's going on here. And if you're loving this, please share it with anybody else who sort of benefit from understanding this a little bit. Um, and um, yeah, let me know. Let me know how you're finding it. Okay. But take care, stay safe, and remember, believe in yourself. Okay. Take care. Sorry to jump in at the end of your podcast, but I wanted to say a big thank you for listening. And if you love the podcast and would like to help me keep them free, do consider sponsoring me. You can subscribe for as little as 99 cents a month to sponsor a segment. Or if you want to do something as a one-off, you can click the link again in the show notes and buy me a coffee. It's a great way to help me spread this word as far and wide as possible to people like yourself who perhaps can't afford to get high-level coaching but need to access this information all the same i really appreciate your help and a big thank you for doing so also if you are somebody looking to get into coaching maybe you're an english coach or perhaps you are another professional maybe you're a life coach or you might be a mental health counselor basically anybody who is in a caring or supportive profession or maybe you you coach people in different academic subjects I'd like to feature your podcast on my show and give you a chance to reach my audience. Yes, totally free of charge. All you have to do is follow the links down below in the show notes to find out how you can connect with me and send me your files. I will upload them to the show and you can basically reach my audience and build your own business. There are no catches at all. I'm simply here to offer my platform to help as many other professionals in a related field as myself to reach as many students as we can. And together, I believe we can do a lot better. Thank you for listening again. See you soon.